welcome to the Sports Pro Podcast, getting inside the sports industry and recording it on audio. Hi everyone and welcome once again to the Sports Pro Podcast. My name is Owen Connolly, I'm the editor-at-large at Sports Pro. Uh, very happy to be back and to welcome on the line, after what can only be described as a prolonged absence, Sports Pro Editorial Director Michael Long. Hi Mike. Hi Owen, how are you doing? Good to be back. Good to have you back Mike. Where, where have you been? I've been here, there, everywhere. I've been working hard, Owen, as you as you know. So it's um, been quite a few weeks since I've been here on this very podcast. So it's good to be back. How are things going with you? Uh, very well, thanks. Very well. Excited to get into some sports mm. industry discussion. It's been a hectic few weeks. We're, we're doing this as elegantly as we can. It's been a hectic few weeks in the sports industry, just as it has been for yourself, Mike. And what we what we decided this time around is, you know, there are there are some stories that kind of get left by the wayside when everyone's talking mm-hmm. about whether it's, you know, the Rugby World Cup or the start of the NBA season or, you know, all those headlines can kind of sweep attention away uh, from some of the other things that the industry should be paying attention to. Um, so that's what we're going to do this week. We're just going to kind of bounce back and forth with some of those little tidbits or even some slightly bigger stories that might be getting uh, lost in the mix um it's very much in the spirit of the new weekly column that we've launched on sports pro this week the tip-off which is kind of gathering up some takes and some rumors and some other bits and pieces uh of industry news and putting a hopefully a interesting informative and irreverent spin on things um so we're gonna we'll probably end up getting through quite a few of these things but uh, let's get all of this underway and just see how we go. Mike, what is the first story that you think uh, people should be paying attention to this week? Um, Owen, I think uh, so many deals being signed every day, uh, every week within this industry. Uh, there's got to be one or two out there that that slip under the under the radar that that may uh, may or may not have been picked up by our listeners and readers. Um, but certainly one that springs to to mind from the last few days, I think it broke uh, last week, is Manchester City, the uh, Premier League champions, uh, their new partnership with Nestle Professional. I'm not sure how much you know about this, Owen. Mm. Have you heard about this? I've heard about this through the, the Sports Pro news service, Mike. Of course. Um, well, but yeah, this is, this is, this is uh, Man City going vegan with the help of a giant corporation. Indeed, indeed. So Nestle, those noted, uh, much heralded guardians of our planet, uh, and now the official vegan and vegetarian partner of uh, Manchester City, purportedly a uh, first of its kind deal. Although the first thing that sprang to mind for me was that I think French fries are vegan. Um, Whether or not you have them with tomato ketchup, I believe they're also vegan. Okay. Yeah, good Good to know for anyone looking to jumpstart their new vegan lifestyle. Indeed, indeed. But as far as I can tell, they've... So Nestle have assumed the designation. They've taken ownership of this vegan category um, by virtue of the fact that they're supplying a plant-based garden gourmet burger to Manchester City and their stadium and uh, other venues, um, which to me just sounds... As you say, I mean, this is a, a big corporation. 
coming in and taking that kind of designation for what is essentially a supply deal just you know is this is this the direction of travel obviously there's it's um a bit of a cultural moment going on with plant-based diets and, and veganism and whatnot but yeah uh, yeah the cynic in me just you know I, I call it into question this move by a corporation to take ownership of an entire ideology or a way of life an yeah. entire diet on the basis that is supplying a burger to a premier league football club well definitely that's a take that's dripping in cynicism uh, as much as it is soy and um animal friendly vegetable oil mm. but yeah it, obviously it's it's a, a deal that's kind of taking ownership of the moment as you say i think it, 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 we, it will be interesting to see where where people try and capitalize on that veganism's kind of gone from being uh super niche to to everywhere um beyond meat is it beyond Meat, the company that's yep. that's got this kind of billion dollar valuation mm-hmm. uh, every you know restaurant chain fast food chain trying to get some kind of vegan product out there and also, just in the last few weeks, this um, uh, this documentary, Game Changers. Mm-hmm. Yes. Co- uh, is it Arnold Schwarzenegger. And... Executive produced by the likes of Novak Djokovic and Lewis Hamilton, I believe. Yeah. So there's a, obviously, if you are a big, if you're a top-tier sponsor, then you're looking for a way in. And there's probably not that many companies who've, who've got their kind of vegan act together. Mm. Yeah. I mean, but, maybe... Yeah. Maybe I was un- unfairly uh, cynical on the, on this one, Owen, but uh, certainly drew <laughs> a, a an immediate parallel with a recent report that uh, Nestle is up there with Coca Cola and Pepsi as one of the biggest uh, plastic polluters on the planet. And obviously, if yeah. uh, you know, been um, criticised, let's say, over the years for one or two controversies and their uh, you know supply chains and their practices and things, um, clearly. It's an ingenious move, then, though, yeah. isn't it, to um, to get in there while it's hot and to cut out any any other plant based, uh, you know, suppliers of plant based products uh, to Manchester City getting in there as uh, as well. But uh, absolutely. Yeah. What else do you want to talk about, Owen? We'll move on from that. Um, well, just on just on the subject of different kinds of partnership opportunities arising from you know cultural trends, I guess. Uh, the NFL, also not with an unblemished public relations record, um, but, you know, a big organization that people like for some of the stuff that they do, um, has signed a couple of music partnerships, um, Spotify and Tidal. It's something that I wrote about at the start of the year, towards the start of the year anyway, maybe February, March, um, which is this kind of, you know, for one thing, uh, an aggregation of audio content whether it's music podcasts or whatever happening on all of these big streaming services and also the integration of voice and a move towards more of a kind of audio universe and i think that a lot of rights holders are going to want to start thinking about how they plug themselves into that and the nfl will be a better place to do that i guess and in, in as a result of this yeah of course so this is a, a blend of kind of library content some archive stuff mixed in with with new kind of ongoing stuff, podcasts and whatnot, and and regular shows that they're they're producing as well, is it? Yeah, so they've got some, you know, they're, so they're they're launching official accounts on Spotify, Pandora, TuneIn, Tidal, and SoundCloud. Um, these these are going to feature curated playlists, uh, exclusive interviews, music, roundtable discussions, so you know, podcasts, mm-hmm. 
and yeah and 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 so on and so forth so it's 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 kind of having a, an easier to access library of, of nfl audio content what we've seen quite a bit of so far is is clubs having their playlist on deezer or spotify or whatever um you know whatever the captain picks to play on a saturday before kickoff um or to play in the dressing room they'll share that on on the website and that's quite a kind of small way of doing this but it does sound like what the nfl's trying to accomplish with this is a bit bigger being completely speculative you could imagine if let's say amazon because they've got the most comprehensive kind of platform for this kind of stuff you could see from here the the, the opportunity to do something that integrates voice that integrates uh live broadcast that integrates maybe even e-commerce on something like amazon um all of that stuff coming together and i, and I think they just don't want to get out ahead of that trend and, and make yeah. sure that they're available on all of these kind of services. Yeah, I think so. I think it's it's a clear trend, isn't it? It's um, that idea of, of of kind of meeting meeting fans and audiences on on their terms across all platforms and and packaging up, uh, you know, diversifying your output. I suppose, ensuring that you're on the right platforms with the right content. Um, and as you say, um, whether it's an existing lead partner like Amazon or some of these newer uh newer platforms i think uh you know, i think we'll see the major kind of rights holders looking at this as a kind of extension of what they're doing in uh original programming and and uh you know other kind of short form uh content if you like uh or in this case long form long form if there's roundtable discussions and, and podcasts and things but um yeah and it also ties into the strategies that you know streaming services like spotify have at the moment where they're trying to acquire more original content or trying to generate more original content. I mean, was it Gimlet, the um, the podcast company that, that Spotify acquired earlier this year? Certainly that industry is approaching maturity and um, and, uh, and, and and becoming more competitive. Um, and big publishers, big content producers and licenses are, are moving into that space mm-hmm. too. So yeah, all of it makes sense. And, and I think it's an area where we'll see a little bit more activity and in in this particular in this particular case with the with the NFL, obviously there's a link there with the recent kind of uh, socially focused partnership they signed with Jay Z and his Rock Nation company. Obviously, Jay Z being the owner of Tidal, one of the streaming services that they'll, they'll be producing content for. Um, so it's another outlet for that uh, kind of partnership to take shape, I suppose, and to discuss some of those issues, perhaps you know, outside of that context of kind of the NFL's own own platforms or some of the some of the existing kind of legacy player platforms. So there's that as well to consider. Yeah, that is a very good point. What else? Evan? Right. What what else? What else should we be talking about? I think, as you say, obviously um, you know, Rugby World Cup has kind of uh, dominated the um the discussion over recent weeks, certainly in uh, great to see England um defeat the All Blacks at the weekend. Didn't uh, didn't really see that coming, but uh, fantastic news. But I think uh, we should um, reserve some time. Let's set aside some time now to discuss the WTA finals uh, ongoing in Shenzhen in China, uh, following their big money move from Singapore, where they'd spent uh, a run of years. Was it five or six years in Singapore? So this mm. is a... Um, yeah, WTA finals uh, got underway uh, yesterday, I believe, or on Sunday. Top eight players on the on, in women's tennis, um, and a record payday on offer. Owen, uh, record prize money, including a potential four point seven million 
dollars for the winner should they go through the tournament undefeated, which is uh, an eye-watering sum, I would say. It certainly dwarfs some of the uh, sizable checks on offer at the Grand Slams. What is it, three million odd uh, for US Open winner? So clearly, the WTA, you know, making significant strides uh, in that front. Obviously, um, continuing its focus in Asia, but obviously following the money, certainly. Um, and interestingly, and I, I know this came to light um, when the ATP uh, announced their move from London to Turin, which is going to happen in 2021, the men have some catching up to do uh, with the women, which is obviously a bit of a, an anomaly, a bit of a unique situation in, in sport generally. Um, but it certainly speaks to the kind of commercial maturity of, of tennis and the um, the strides that have been made over the years by the WTA in particular. Yeah, and obviously the aspect of the prize money was uh, something that it was that they've been able to something they've been able to pursue as a result of taking the event to Shenzhen. Events in China have been um, have been the subject of some consternation in the last uh, four weeks or so, but I think the direction of travel there is 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 pretty well set for for a long time to come. But um, what are, what are some of the other things that you know? Obviously. WTA is an interesting case because I think it does and has since its inception does a fantastic job of of promoting women's sport and promoting women's uh, women athletes, giving them the kind of profile and the kind of financial reward that uh, that it's been very difficult for a lot of other sports to ever be able to, 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 to guarantee. What are some of the challenges that the WTA, that the WTA faces more generally at the moment? Well, I think um, similar situation really is as the situation that the the ATP has found itself in, in that you've had um, you know one or two dominant forces in in recent years. Obviously, the WTA with the with the Williams sisters, specifically Serena. But I think it's at a, a more advanced stage now in terms of that generational shift that we've been hearing about for for several years, uh, really. As the likes of Nadal, uh, Djokovic, and Federer have kind of stuck around and continue to to win the kind of major titles. Um, but certainly with the WTA, you know, you've got this young crop of stars, the likes of Naomi Osaka and Ashley Barty kind of come coming through. You've got the teenagers like Coco Goff and um, Bianca Andreescu from Canada, you know, a major winner as well. I think there it's, yeah, as I say, this, this, this shift to this kind of upcoming crop of stars uh, is, is kind of now in full flow, I think, really, and um, you know, it's it's. I think it's always going to be a challenge for for uh, you know a tour or a promoter to kind of manage that transition. But I think the WTA has done it done it well, as you say. They they're, they're very good at protecting, preserving, promoting their their talent, and I think it's um, you know I, I think it goes to show that the the kind of post Williams era will be. You know, it's in safe hands now. Let's say, um, yeah, interesting to see. You know what happens with the WTA. Obviously, they've signed up for uh, a full decade with Shenzhen um, for their for their mm. finals. So there's that obvious kind of year long narrative leading up to this major event, their, their showpiece event in in Asia. Obviously, China in particular has been of uh, a particular focus for WTA since you know for for probably the last 10 year, years or so really they've got nine events i believe in 
in China. They have an office in Beijing. So clearly they they, they know the lie of the land there. Um, so there's, there's less of a challenge there. Obviously, on the flip side, the ATP, if you like, um, has carved out its niche probably more so in uh, in Europe. Uh, as I said, you know, it's got its year-end finals in uh in Turin, but also the the next gen event in in Milan. Um, so yeah, I think um, these two big beast elite tours within tennis, kind of carving out their own niches. And I think um, you know they they've done that successfully. Um, and now it's kind of over to some of the other properties, um, or the other kind of tournaments, really in particularly on the national team, kind of international level, to kind of keep up with and move with the times, if you like. I think, uh, obviously, everyone speaks about the ATP and WTA, WTA tours as the kind of pinnacle alongside the Grand Slams. Um, but I think, you know, as we've seen with the ITF and, and the reforms that they're making with the Davis Cup and now uh, from next year, the Fed Cup as well. Obviously, Davis Cup coming in a few weeks' time. Um big prize money increases on that front as well. So there's this this is very clear move yeah. to to push through progress on that front. And I think um ultimately it all comes down to money though, Owen, doesn't it? Let's let's be honest. And uh yeah, but it doesn't really answer your question in terms of uh, uh challenges, <laughs> I don't think uh so much. But um obviously uh last few days the ATP has announced a new chief Owen perhaps we should talk about uh talk about him I was just going to ask you about that so it's Matteo Galdenzi the 46 year old former world number 18 who will be replacing uh, or effectively replacing it's a slightly different role um but effectively replacing executive chairman Chris Kermode in the new year um do you know much about the new man's profile and his plans or are we would we be kind of inferring at this point uh yeah i think the latter i think uh obviously in their um in the atp's release last week he's uh you know a former player but he's a he's turned turned businessman entrepreneur uh working in you know with with startups and entertainment tech and gaming um i think the 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 pertinent kind of detail here is that he was uh his his appointment is certainly supported by the atp player council who uh you know, notably Chris Commode uh, kind of had his run-in with over the years, run-ins with, and uh, you know their their power, uh, their their votes on the on the ATP board, the player representatives ultimately led to uh, Commode's ousting. So, um, you know, with the likes of Novak Djokovic, who's the president of the ATP Player Council, on board, and uh, you know, I think Gerdenzi kind of certainly stands a chance of uh, of. Um, uh, yeah, certainly support within within the tour for him. Potentially a tough act to follow. Commode, he's been he's kind of presided over a pretty, if not transformative, a pretty uh, robust kind of six year period uh, in which they've seen kind of prize yeah. money increases and, and player pension contribution rises and new tournaments and all kinds of things like that. So uh, you know he he leaves his legacy and certainly with the ATP finals having become a bit of a kind of highlight of the. The calendar certainly in Britain. He's uh, he's left his mark on the tour, and he can kind of you know leave with 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 pride at the end of the year. So I think um, yeah, as I say, Gadenzi comes in. You know, he, he inherits a tour that's in a healthy position, um, and certainly puts the influence uh, within the ATP kind of in Italy with their year-end finals, as I mentioned uh, in Milan and Turin. So yeah, it's. Um, 
yeah, interesting to see where he goes with it. Yeah, healthy numbers from the last few years under under Chris Kermode, and, and it will be interesting to see what the change of direction is. I know that, as far as I understand it, there was, the players were keen to have more of a, a balance between the interests of promoters and mm-hmm. players, and we'll, we'll see what that actually shakes out as uh, in practice. Um, on the subject of former players, a slightly higher profile former player with uh, with due respect to Matteo Gaudenzi, but uh, Saurabh Ganguly mm-hmm. has taken over as president of the Board of Control for Cricket in India, uh, former national team captain, very combative figure during his playing days. Um, he was unopposed and unanimously backed to take the position. He's going to take it for an initial, I think it's about 10 months because this is a very fractured term because of the departure of a, of a couple of people from it earlier on. Uh but it will be very interesting to see how all of that shakes out. Yeah, I was going to ask you the the, the same question, really. You know, what, what are the kind of challenges that he he faces? Owen, I know you're a, you're a cricket man. Where do things stand for? You know, what what what's uh, yeah. facing him as he comes into the role? So initially, I mean, he is prioritising at this point domestic issues. Uh, you know, some of the first things he's doing are kind of looking at the contractual situation for professional players outside the national team. Um, for first-class players and, and trying to uh, tighten that up a bit. Um, there's been talk of a day-night game at Eden Gardens in, in Kolkata, that type of thing. India got to the last four of the World Cup and no further, which I think surprised a lot of people. But um, they have been smashing South Africa to pieces in, in the recent test series there. They're world number one testing um, and would be big favourites at the moment to win that competition. Obviously, there's two... Uh, World T20s next year. Uh, it'll be a big test for their women's team to see if they can compete with Australia in Australia. That's earlier on in the year. And then the men's team will be among the favourites as well, I'm sure, for the men's T20 World Cup. That is happening, I think, in October. But it is in that context as well that, uh, you know, the BCCI's kind of role in the international game uh, and, and how that progresses under him will be particularly interesting. I mean, the T20 World Cup qualifier, the men's qualifier is going on at the moment in the UAE. So, so basically, the, all the all the kind of big names are already qualified. It's a 16 team tournament. Uh, it's going to be in two phases with the big guns kind of coming in for the last few. And in this qualifier, you have some of the familiar names that you'd expect at that level: the likes of Ireland and the Netherlands and, and UAE. Uh, you've also seen Nigeria involved and, and a couple of others. And there's, you know, there's a lot of competition at that level. Um, the last few years, there's been an interesting uh, dynamic in terms of how the ICC has gone about globalizing the sport. Um, I always got the impression that at an executive level, they've been keener to expand and to kind of move away from India's uh, dominance or to kind of not lean so heavily on India as an economic power and to try and grow the sport beyond its existing borders. At a membership level, obviously, India have had some slightly different ideas down the years. Uh, the current setup rewards them more greatly than other, other national boards because of the significance of their domestic market when it comes to selling broadcast rights and so on to, to global tournaments. Ganguly, in his opening comments, has suggested he would like that balance to move a little bit more in India's favour, which would be 
a little bit away from what uh, other other nations have, have kind of wanted for the last few years, as, as I'm sure you can expect. I mean, do you remember, Mike, a few years ago, the, the big three takeover mm. in international cricket? I, I do recall something about that. Yeah. I do. Yeah, so that was uh, India... England and Australia's boards kind of coming coming through, taking on you know a fair amount of political power and economic power in return for giving certainty to to kind of a set of, of, of rights deals. Um, there's been a softening of that and an attempt to kind of move away from that. And it'll be interesting to see how much Ganguly, if he's you know if he is talking about rewarding India a little bit more um, generously for their part in in generating interest for some of these commercial deals. Um, it'll be interesting to see how how much he's he pushes things in the other direction. Obviously, there's also uh, a new chief executive at the ICC, Manu Sawney, who is a former broadcast executive who joined earlier this year, replacing Dave Richardson. Shashank Manawar is is still in situ as chairman. So it'll be you know there's a a fairly new look to to that um, that partnership. And it'll be interesting to see how how that develops in the next next few months because it's it's not certain as yet how much longer Ganguly is going to be in place after that. Okay. Right. Should we take a break? I think that's enough for part one, Mike. Sure. Let's let's take a break. We'll take on a few more stories after this. Enjoying this Sports Pro podcast? Well, we're also the sports industry leader in print, digital, and events. Head to sportspromedia.com for the latest features, news, and interviews from the business of sport. Help yourself to a subscription to our acclaimed magazine and find out about our unmissable conferences before anyone else. Get inside the industry with Sports Pro. Welcome back to the Sports Pro podcast. Mike, I feel like both of us are kind of struggling manfully through, uh, through some man colds. Manfully through some man flu. Indeed. I, uh, yeah, I think, yeah, I've been struggling for a few days. How's your, how are you bearing up, Owen? I'm all right. I'm all right. This uh, podcast brought to you in association with Lemsip. Yeah, uh, yes. Hopefully we're, we're coming through loud and clear and we can uh, pick up and carry on with this relay. Is that what we're going to call the format? Relay pod? Um, something like that. Anyway, we're bouncing some of... Uh, the the kind of consequential industry stories that you might have missed uh, through this podcast. Um, before that, a couple of bits of housekeeping. We're about three weeks away now from the Sports Pro OTT Summit in Madrid. Uh, it is, as ever, going to be a huge and unmissable and very high quality event that comes with the highest recommendation to anybody uh, interested in the world of digital broadcasting. Mickey Lawler, president of the WTA, who we discussed uh, in the first part, she's going to be there. Um, we've got Melissa Brenner, who's the EVP of digital media at the NBA. Dazone are going to be there, Eurosport, WWE, uh, Sky Sports, UFC Fight Pass. Uh, we've got some great technical sessions planned. We've got some very provocative sessions about viewer behavior and, and what's to come in the next few years. All that type of stuff. There's going to be, you know, really outstanding level of delegates there as well. And it's all going to wrap up with the inaugural Sports Pro OTT Awards too. So if you want to be there, uh, sportspro-ott.com. It's in Madrid from the 19th to the 21st of November. You and I are going to be there, Mike. Yes, we are indeed. Uh, and hopefully you're going to be joining us. That's the people listening. You're going to be joining us. 
Um, also, in the last few days, we've had confirmation of Sports Pro OTT USA. Uh, that's going to be held in partnership with Turner in Atlanta from the 19th to the 20th of February 2020. That is going to be pretty special. Um, as you're listening to this, I think you might just, if you're, if you're the kind of person who listens to the Sports Pro podcast uh, as soon as it downloads, then you might just have time to take advantage of the early bird rate. Either way, well worth heading to sportspro-ottusa.com to find out everything you can about that and uh, then buy a pass because that's what we're in this business for ultimately. Um, Right, on the subject of OTT, Mike, I think uh, you and I were talking during the break, Mm -hmm. just pulling the curtain back there Mm -hmm. for everyone who wonders how the Sports Pro podcast is put together, and there were a couple of OTT-related stories that that you were keen to highlight. Yeah, I was, Owen, and as you say, we do, Owen and I do, uh, do like to talk off the record occasionally, Uh, and we were talking... (laughs) Uh, about W United, W United is that how you pronounce it? Do you think it's? Uh... To see now, that's the thing we should have. That's the thing we should have checked before we before we started. W United. It's. Uh, is... It could be could be Woo United. It's. Uh, I don't know. It is uh, W and then United. Yes. So W United. Is I that think right? It's, I think we're overthinking this. <laughs> It's, it's a new OTT service from Spring Media and Red Bee, and it is dedicated to women's soccer. Have I got that right? I think you have. What else can, can we? Uh, what else can you tell us about it? So obviously, uh, so it's a new global service, Owen, launched by the Swedish the Swedish um, sports agency Spring Media, and also the uh, British based. Uh, Red Bee Media, um, as you say, it's a global service uh, covering women's soccer. Uh, I believe it is only women's soccer, um, initially at least, anyway. We don't have too many details in terms of the, the rights that they have acquired for this. Um, understand that negotiations with a host of properties are ongoing, so more will be added in due course anyway. Um, due to launch in the first quarter of 2020, uh, our colleague, uh, and senior reporter Steve Impey has all of the details on sportsmedia.com. He's been speaking to the guys um, behind this uh, from Red Bee and Spring Media. Um, no, Owen, I, I found this to be obviously an interesting move in light of the conversations you had, I believe, last week around our content as Queen um, white paper looking at uh, new media opportunities. Um, yeah. women's sports from a digital perspective and you know something like this I believe you know has been coming uh certainly the the guys behind this have been working on this for some time uh, I believe it's been a few years in the making and um yeah it's a sign of uh you know where things are headed the the opportunities that do exist out there for services of this type uh for newly created platforms and, and outlets uh to get uh women's sport and women's football in particular uh out there to those audiences globally who want to consume it um obviously uh, so one of the one of the uh, things that the guys are talking about is that the you know women's football women's sport is a blank page i think the quote was in that uh you know it's unrestricted it's not encumbered by 
uh, some of the rights um, contracts and kind of existing relationships that that have um, been kind of cultivated over many years in in men's sport. Um, so a service like this is you know in practice kind of more feasible uh, anyway. Um, but yeah, what, what are your thoughts on this, Owen? I mean, it's um, well, this type of product, certainly from a live perspective, isn't something that we would necessarily see in men's sports. Um, yeah, I think um, yeah, you've you, you've kind of brought a couple of bits of context in that are going to be quite telling. One being that women's football specifically um, and uh, women's sport more generally, women's team sport is going to develop in in a different way from men's sport. It's not going to necessarily kind of trace the map that already exists. And I think bringing in some of the conversations that we had on the podcast last time is also significant because in some cases it's about breadth of distribution. In some cases it's about testing and kind of working out what's going to um, going to build that audience. It's hard to know exactly what to make of this until we know what the, what the, what the rights approach is going to be. I mean, whether they are looking to pick up stuff non-exclusively, which you'd imagine would, would probably be quite a good way to go. Uh, to build something that's quite comprehensive and whether you know whether they're going to work in partnership with some of the the rights holder led ott services that we're seeing in women's football uh uefa have launched one not exclusive to women's football but where you know live women's games are going to be a a feature of it the fa have done the same here in in, uh, in england so you know i think there's certainly potential for this as something that can capitalize on on global interest that still hasn't quite coalesced into into something that's as established as as, as the men's football model um and yeah i think it, it, it's a moment in time as far as the media market is concerned where you can try something like this and it, and it can really set you up um for something else five or ten years down the line beyond that it's quite hard to know what to expect from it but it's certainly an interesting story Indeed, indeed. And um, I think uh, it, it is a free service initially. So clearly the, the focus will be on, on driving, on uh, growing reach and, you know, getting, getting people excited about this service, uh, getting people watching. Um, the potential further down the line for some kind of paid subscription model um, as, you know, as, it, as we've been yeah. saying, as, as more rights are acquired, as, it, as the, the service perhaps becomes a bit more comprehensive uh but uh as the um, guys are saying it's a gradual process so we'll take we'll take time to build this out so we'll be monitoring it closely as they go yeah and if you're if you're a, a rights holder or if you're a partner either on the brand or broadcast side anything that helps you learn a little bit more about the audiences that are involved in women's football anything that gives you an uh, an avenue to to explore you know a setting when you can experiment a little bit i think is is going to be pretty useful um yeah and we'll see what they do with it on the subject of ott uh slightly less sport related at least initially but certainly something that's going to have ramifications for how people watch stuff which ultimately is going to be pretty significant to anyone who uh, who distributes sports content and sports coverage uh, apple tv mm. apple tv plus yeah is launching in the us on friday as we're speaking yes it is yes it is as you say i think um you know ramifications for how people watch stuff i think this is also born of how people are watching stuff 
uh, as we've seen, likes of Netflix and Amazon Prime Video kind of come to the fore in the streaming space. Uh, it's about to become even more crowded um, with the launch of Apple TV Plus, swiftly followed by Disney Plus later. Uh, or what is it? Twelfth of November, I believe, and then NBC Universal's Peacock service and HBO Max coming, uh, I believe, April of next year. Um, so yes, yeah, certainly more options on the table for consumers. Uh, as you say, this has this service has no live sports programming yet. Um, perhaps there's no aspirations there to to acquire any live sports programming, but certainly could could well mm. become an outlet for sports as we've spoken about in the, in terms of that uh, shift towards original programming to scripted uh, content to, to non-live, the value of non-live obviously growing all the time, expected to rise further uh, as well as other content. I think, um, yeah, it's a sign that, um, you know, this has been coming for, for quite some time. So I think, um, you know, this is this is nothing new for those who have their eyes on the on the media space and how that's evolving. But I think certainly be interesting to see how the service kind of fares, how the market kind of reacts and evolves to the to the launch of this. You know, how successful they can be. I think the price point's four four dollars or four pounds ninety nine a month initially. Uh, if you buy an iPhone from now on, I believe a year subscription comes as part of that for free. So. Uh, you know, clearly it's um, we, we're seeing this kind of diversification from from these media companies and these tech companies, especially into content, uh, huge and you know, massive investments in original program to kind of programming uh, bundled in with other products and services to kind of draw consumer uh, attention, you know, yeah. um, draw people away ultimately from other services. Uh, from the consumer perspective, I mean, I know we've spoken about it before, and it's an ongoing kind of conversation within the industry, both in sport and outside sport and the media and entertainment in general. But I think this is going to bring about uh, renewed talk around the kind of likelihood of of consolidation in terms of services. You know, who's going to be acquired by whom? Uh, eventually, you know, we've already spoken about subscription fatigue and and consumers being asked to pay for multitude of services. You know who who ultimately who has the best value proposition uh, in terms of content, in terms of the quality of service, functionality, personalization, all of this stuff that goes into it will be the kind of determining factor, I suppose, in terms of who's who's successful and who who ultimately is swallowed up or fall falls by the wayside altogether. Really, yeah. Um, so it's certainly a bold play from Apple, isn't it? I mean, uh, investing as much as they they are in original programming. Yeah, and they've been looking for a way into television almost since they launched the iPod, I think. Certainly for the last 10 years, it's been something that they've been trying to work out their place in. Um, initially, I think they thought of it as a hardware play, and now they're going into this kind of streaming and, and on-demand uh, content area, programming area and everything else, and kind of setting themselves up against your Netflixes and your Amazons. Mm. But I think, yeah, from, from, from a sports rights holder perspective, I suppose the, the things that are definitely going to be interesting and, and you know, it, it comes before the, the kind of long-term picture that I think you, you, you outlined really well, you know, who's going to be buying your mm. rights, whether that's original and highlights and, uh, you know, the kind of the non-live stuff or whether that's the live stuff, um, having an understanding of who these players are 
how they're doing and whether or not they're going to be interested in buying stuff off you is, is pretty um, significant from the get-go. And then, yeah, then it's understanding what people actually want and how this affects the rest of the way the media marketplace behaves. But certainly it, it points to something that's come up a couple of times on the podcast. And, and you know, we, we had two circles input in one of my columns recently, rights holders thinking a little bit less about just being a place where, um, you know, about their role just being generating and then selling stuff to third parties who then distribute it to fans and thinking more about their direct relationship with with fans and with audiences. Mm-hmm. Um, and where all of that stuff will go and how they, you know, all the points at which they can they can meet people in, in that respect, kind of going from B2B rights hedging organizations to 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 direct consumer um what does that look like um yeah anything you're going to watch on apple tv i do you know what the only thing i know that they will be offering for sure is this show called the morning with uh, jennifer aniston and reese witherspoon and i certainly won't be watching that but i hear it's yeah. very good i was listening to uh the chap on the radio <laughs> last night and he was uh he was raving about it so he's, he's had a sneak preview so yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's not sport, Owen, so let's not talk about that. Okay, well, I will keep an eye out for that anyway on Apple TV, and uh, I'm sure some of our listeners will do the same. Um, well, that's been fun, Mike. It has been, um, Trying something a little mm. bit different. I hope you've enjoyed it, those of you who are listening. Um, we're going to be trying a few different formats, a few different ways of, of framing the Sports Pro podcast uh, over the next few months. And also, um, you'll be hearing some new sounds from us as well, I think. Uh, we, we, we're hoping to kind of refresh the, the whole thing and to grow the audience and as ever um, if you uh, are enjoying the podcast then please do be sure to subscribe um, to share and like and otherwise spread the word um, on social media and you know if you are so inclined to leave us a nice review on iTunes or your preferred podcast platform yeah, I think that'll do it for this week. Thanks very much, Mike. No, thank you, Owen. That was masterfully uh, navigated by yourself, as always. So, uh, yeah, and it was good to be back. Yes, very good to have you back. Hopefully it won't be so long next time. Uh, and as for everybody else, thank you very much for listening, and we'll be back with you next week. Bye-bye.